Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. Here we interview individuals who are pursuing their passion and who want to share that story. You're going to have to have a certain mentality that says, if I run into this brick wall and it hurts, I've got to get back up and try and get through it again. The passion for me was just that constant striving for success. If there's an ultimate want past that obstacle, you're going to find a way to get over it, under it, around it, through it, whatever it takes to make that happen. Work hard, play harder, don't piss anybody off. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sign Out Podcast. I'm really excited to get to record today. We're in a crazy time. I'm sheltered in here in Katy, Texas, but I'm really excited about my guest today. Um, This is the first time I'm getting to talk to a professional athlete, and we have Jeff Blum, um, who's going to be our guest today. And for those of you that uh, know baseball will know Jeff's career. He uh, played many years in professional leagues with a few different teams. Um, but he did uh, make a stint with the Houston Astros, which is my hometown team. And it's funny because Jeff and I are actually recording this over Zoom meeting today, but we only live a couple of miles from each other. So, you know, due to this uh, coronavirus, we're actually doing some social distancing. But Jeff, welcome to the show today. I appreciate you coming on. No, it's great to be on. And it's great to take advantage of the opportunity that we are given here, even though it's not the greatest of circumstances. I'd much rather be sitting next to you, hanging out and getting to know you a little bit better. But I guess this is the way we've got to do it here in this modern era of social distancing. Exactly. And for you, you should be getting busy to start broadcasting as, you know, the current role of Jeff, if you don't know, he's one of the broadcasters for the Houston Astros. So his work schedule should be picking up uh, right now, but uh, instead they will, there's a pause on starting uh, uh, this season. And from my perspective, you know, there's always, when I start the podcast, there's always a story on, how I find a guest or how I get a guest. And Jeff and I happen to have a mutual friend. Uh, my business, uh, Sign Out, which we sell T-shirts and hats, sells them to a group uh, community, especially people that like to spend time outdoors. And Jeff and I were at a recent function where we met. Um, a friend of his owns a business, Dave, that owns Adventure Up Overland. And uh, we had a big get-together of people just coming out and hanging out, showing us you know, everybody's vehicle. So Jeff came out to support Dave and we got to meet there. What other people won't know is that we do have another connection. And that is, is that I did work for the Astros many years ago, but not in the capacity of a player. So back in 94, I was a groundskeeper for the Astros in 94, 95 and half of 96. So we do have that, Jeff, where we at least have both been employed by the Astros. I like it. I, I've always been able to appreciate the guys who go out there and flatten out the surface so I don't get any bad hops. I've actually had some really good relationships over the years with guys who have taken care of the field. Some of the hardest working, most dedicated guys in all of the sport that uh, don't get enough credit. But I made a point uh, if, you know, of always making sure that I shook those guys' hands, recognized them, said hello, asked how their families were doing. And it's kind of interesting now with the Houston Astros because Willie has been doing it for a good 40, 45 years, maybe more. And then there's another guy named Melvin who has been uh, out there raking and changing bases over the years, and he's still getting after it. So I appreciate the fact that those guys are still around and I can still go down there and say hello to them because it was a pretty good relationship developed between the both of us, both player and groundskeeper over the years. Yeah, I I got to work with both those guys. They were part of the crew whenever I was there too, just to show you how long they've been working. And Willie just knew everybody, and I loved it. You know, when new teams would come to town, he was always like, yeah, I talked to this guy. There's a cool guy, you know, the coaches. And uh, it was a good experience for me to, you know, as a college kid, 
you know, you and I are the same age. So you were, you were in college playing baseball at this time, but I was just hanging out at the backstop during batting practice before every game and just listening to coaches talk and players talk. And it was a really neat experience for me. A lot of good stories from that. So, so give us a little background of uh, who you are, like where you came from and, uh, you know, where you were raised and grew up. I am a California kid, like you stated earlier, now living in Texas. I had played for the Houston Astros for five years. Uh, the first stint I had was 0203, and I didn't have any kids. And then I came back in 2008, 9, and 10 and played for the Astros when I did have kids. So when we eventually made the transition from California to Texas, it was relatively easy because the girls remembered the Butterfly Museum down in the uh, uh, Natural History Museums and stuff like that. So we had good knowledge. So that move was easy. But uh, going all the way back to the, the good old days, I was born in uh, Northern California, in Redwood City, eventually moved down to Southern California before I could even remember anything when I was about three or four years old. Eventually grew up in Southern California, graduated from Chino High School, played basketball, baseball, soccer, a little bit of track and field as a kid, tried to do all kinds of different sports because we had a great community of guys that uh, basically rotated from sport to sport. So it was, it was one thing to go out there and play the sports, but it was another thing just to be around your boys and, and cut it up, have a good time, and, and have stories to tell to this day. And then it was about my junior year in high school where I realized that baseball might be a, an avenue for me to get, a, get an education. And UC Berkeley recruited me pretty heavily, and uh, they were the, probably the most honest university with me. The head coach there, Bob Milano, is – uh, still a tried and true friend to this day and basically a father figure for me when I was growing up through uh, college and through the minor leagues. So I made the choice to go to UC Berkeley for what I thought was going to be four years, play some baseball, have a good time, get an education and eventually come back into the workforce in some capacity and, and continue my life with a degree from UC Berkeley. But Things changed in 1994 for me when I got drafted by the Montreal Expos, and I figured it'd be a good time to take a little bit of a hiatus and, uh, you know, get a signing bonus and go try and play baseball professionally. And here we are, 14 years in the major leagues, uh, though I'm going on my eighth year in the broadcast booth, and I've yet to get back to school and try and get that degree. So my daughters continue to hold that over my head, but it's also motivation for me to tell my girls, hey, you get through college. And you could be the first Blum to uh, graduate from college. So I've had a very, very blessed, very unique uh, trip through uh, the baseball world. And I owe everything, obviously, that I have to uh, the game of baseball and what it's brought to me and the adventures I've been on. And I saw recently where Chino High School retired your jersey. <laughs> yes, I, I have been very fortunate in the sense to be, you know, to have an impact in certain situations and I was very fortunate to be a four-year letterman at uh, Chino High School had some great teammates and played extremely well like I said eventually got a scholarship to go play at UC Berkeley but what a, what an it was, it was what an honor to be able to have your number retired anywhere but then to be the first one ever retired at a school as as old as Chino High I think it's about 125 years old the first number retired it was incredibly humbling, and it was just an absolute honor. And something that my brother and I, who went to Chino High also, we just kind of looked at each other and go, dude, they're not going to have a number 11 here for the rest of this, uh, you know, rest of this school's history. And to have it hanging above that school, I hope it provides a lot of inspiration. And I hope it also provides a lot of insight in behind what it takes to get that jersey up there as far as family, friends, teammates, and opportunities like that. Yeah, it's a, definitely in a sports world. Uh, a lot of people around you make you better and help Man you out. 
Um, one thing, you know, we had talked about um, before is, you know, a sports athlete is a long road. And talk about the passion that you had for sports and not just baseball, because you mentioned it. I, we grew up with the same age. So I grew up at a time when you played multiple sports. Um, if you were a good athlete, you'd play multiple sports so that you could enjoy the benefits of being well-rounded and stuff. But just talk about, you know, that passion you have for sports and how that, you know, your, your career and working for your career started when you were a much younger age because your career was sports. So just talk about that passion and how that drove you. Yeah, um, it was a lot of passion. I don't think, I, I think if you're going to, you know, take on the challenge of sport in any, any uh, capacity, whether it be coaching, uh, you know, or playing, you know, you're going to have to have a certain mentality that says, if I run into this brick wall and it hurts, I've got to get back up and try and get through it again. You know, there's that uh, certain mentality and of, of not fearing failure. And I think that's one thing that I've really taken from the game of baseball is understanding that I can fail seven to 70 or 70 to 75 percent of the time and I can have a career in baseball and still be considered successful and that's kind of you know where you learn that early I have no idea but I think it all stems from what I mentioned earlier about having that support group around you you know uh, my dad was a guy who who loved sports I think he saw that my brother and I were relatively good at, uh, at sports and were athletic. He, he encouraged us. Like you said, our era was a little more multi-sport oriented where we, I think it was because our parents wanted to keep us busy, you know, through the season. So, you know, I would bounce from, you know, flag football to basketball, to baseball, to track and field, just trying to stay, uh, stay occupied. But I turned out to be a pretty good athlete and was able to play a bunch of different sports. My dad encouraged that but he really put an emphasis on baseball. And he, he was the kind of coach that uh, after a three for four day would be like, why didn't you get that fourth hit? And I was kind of like, man, dude, I go, the other three were pretty cool. <laughs> so I, I learned early on how to deal with, uh, you know, some of that failure and that expectation that goes into playing sports because you want to play at such a high level. And of course, once you realize that you're good at something, you want to continue to pursue it. And that's where I think the passion really got instilled in me was around that 12, 13, 14 year old age where I started to get a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit stronger, and realized that baseball was a pretty good sport for my build and my athleticism because I played soccer until I was 14, and all of a sudden I had a growth spurt. Guys started running circles around me, and I said, okay, that, I got to move on because I, I can't keep up with these guys. I uh, played basketball up until my uh, sophomore year, and the coach gave me an ultimatum in high school at my junior year and said, you got to pick one, baseball or basketball. I need to know you're serious about basketball. And at the time, I was six foot three, about a buck 60, and I said, yeah, this might be the extent of my height, and everybody else is going to be getting a lot taller and a lot stronger than I am at basketball. So I chose baseball, and it uh, worked out. But, you know, the, the passion for me was just that constant striving for not necessarily perfection, but success. And I found out early on that for me to be successful in the game of baseball wasn't going to be the superstar or the marquee player. It was going to be a role player and a guy who could fill a spot and contribute maybe on the peripheral of a team. It's one thing you said one thing in that uh, just a moment ago about figuring out what you're good at and I think that's important in general for people. When we talk about passion and pursuing your passion, um, there's a lot of things that people are good at. And being able to figure that out at a young age and then apply that in your life to take that through college. And maybe you don't go to college because that passion doesn't lead you there. But just the importance of figuring out what you're good at. And I think in that is a lot of honesty with yourself, too. I mean, for you to be able to say, OK, I've got to pick a I've got to pick a decision on which sport I'm going to play, which I think 
a lot of people in high school, especially today, it's very specialized. You know, you kind of figure out what sport you're good at and you go. But I like that idea of figure out what you're good at. And I think about the happiness you bring of doing your happiness you bring to yourself because you're doing something you enjoy, right? No, completely. If I, if I didn't enjoy playing the game and if I didn't enjoy sitting in the booth talking about baseball, you guess what? I'm going to suck at it and I'm, I'm going to be awful. People are going to be turned off and they're not going to either watch, want to watch me play or want to be around me or even listen to me. So I found that, uh, you know, later in my career, I lost a, a little bit of that love for the game, but that was more of a, of a mentality and a physicality that was uh, deteriorating that I had to accept and move on from. But once I got back in the booth, I started to love the game again and understand that, you know, the, the game is moving on and I appreciate what the game has given to me. And now I get a chance to sit in the booth and give that back a little bit. But every day I went out there, even after some of the biggest struggles or a, or a four strikeout game or making two errors in a game and not being hyper successful, I always woke up the next day and wanted to go out there and, and practice and get better at baseball and play the game the next day. And that's where I think baseball is kind of unique in the sense that you do play every day. And it's probably one of the greatest sports for redemption because you can have an 0 for 4 night the night before your team goes out there and wins, but then you go out the next day and you can be that uh, guy that somebody needs to rely on and you come through in certain situations. So you have the opportunity on a daily basis to to forget about the the pain of yesterday or enjoy the glory of today, and I think that's probably one of the better things in about baseball. Uh, talk about the grind of the minor leagues, because I think that you've since you've been in the minor leagues and you've been through that and you spent some years there. A lot of people just the grind tears them up, and they might still have a love for baseball, but they just can't make it through that physically and mentally. And maybe they were great players. I mean, I'm sure you've seen plenty of great players that can't make it. They don't make it to that next level. So talk about how you got through, um, like, five years in the minors almost, four or five years. Yeah, spent four and a half years. And interestingly enough, you know, in 1999, I actually uh, applied for classes at Cal uh, in the fall semester because that was going to be my last season was 1999. I was getting to the point where in the minor league system where I, I figured I had kind of uh, filtered out and wasn't going to get the opportunity that I thought I was going to have later in the year. So I, I decided to go back to school. I was 25 at the time, 26 at the time. And I said, you know what, this isn't going to look good on my resume saying that I toiled in the minor leagues for about 10 years and try and get into the workforce. So my idea for whatever reason was that I was going to finish out the season, give it everything I got, and then just say, okay, I'm done with it and go back to school and try and find my way in life after that. But I was very fortunate in the sense that uh, somebody broke their ankle, I got called up, and the rest is history. But at the time, you know, when you first get into the minor leagues, you're so excited about playing the game professionally, and you're so excited about the opportunity of visiting some of these different places. You know, I spent my first year in the Appalachian Mountains of the New York Penn League, and it, you talk about an eye-opening experience. I went from Division I baseball, where we were flying commercial flights to go play Arizona State, USC, UCLA, some of these mega schools around uh, the country. And all of a sudden, I'm in a bus for 12 to 15 hours dodging, you know, deer in the Appalachian Mountains and sitting with the bus driver trying to keep him awake so he doesn't run us off a cliff. And, you know, you talk about eye-opening experience, living in an apartment with, you know, five other guys where I'd just been, you know, in my own room in a house in Berkeley, you know, getting spoiled rotten. So it's a big time culture shift. And it's an understanding that you go from big man on campus to just a number in an organization where you've got to create an avenue 
to get to the big leagues, but I had a blast doing it. And it's all, it, and obviously it's easy for me to sit here talking to you now after everything I've been able to accomplish to say that I loved it. I know there's a lot of guys who have been in that same situation, grinded it out and didn't get the reward of being in the major leagues and actually enjoying the benefit of working that hard. So I feel for those guys, but at the same time, I absolutely loved every minute of it. And I appreciated every paycheck that was under 200 bucks. You know, at the time uh, I learned a lot about life. I learned a lot about myself and uh, it, it's not for everybody. It, it's a rough, rough go. Yeah, I can see that. And I think, you know, when we think about that lesson, um, it can be applied across so many places. I've uh, interviewed a friend of mine uh, episode back who started a business and he's five years into starting his business and it still feels like he's just getting going. And that's five years of hard work of not making as much money, not, it's not going as well as you thought, but you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think that's kind of the story here is that it doesn't matter if you're in baseball, it doesn't matter if you're in business, these things take a while and it takes a lot of effort. And that's where passion comes in, finding out, okay, what is it that uh, I want to do as a person? And can I make that a hobby? Is that going to be something I can do for a living? Um, but the bottom line is, is, it's just hard work. Yeah. And that is one of the things I'm trying to instill in my girls because, you know, they, they came along about halfway through my career and obviously I've been fortunate enough to give them a life and a lifestyle that we all enjoy. Right. But at the same time, you know, they, they just see, you know, they, they see the jerseys on the wall. They, they, they see the pool out back and they go, Oh, this is how it's supposed to be. And I'm constantly trying to remind them, you know, and again, you know, the, the not fearing failure, understanding that failure can be a good thing if you take the right lesson from it and are able to get back up, make the adjustment and move on. But also once you get in a position or you get to a point where you feel like you can't get past a hurdle is understanding that you can, if you, if you, like you said, if you have the desire, if you have the passion, if you, if there's an ultimate want past that obstacle, you're going to find a way to get over it, under it, around it, through it, whatever it takes to make that happen. And that's probably the hardest job for a parent these days, I would imagine, is teaching kids that if you actually do the work or go the extra mile, you will be rewarded in the end because it's such a world of immediate gratification that it's hard to see the end result without having to do something hard. And I, you know, that's where I think as a parent and being through baseball and having the examples of minor league baseball, hopefully translate and help them understand, you know, all the stuff is great, but it didn't come without a lot of sacrifice and uh, failure and understanding. Yeah. It's, I mean, our kids are about the very close to the same age. Um, in fact, our daughters are in the same grade uh, for, with your triplets, but I explained to my kids quite a bit. I'm like, you don't really understand what it was like 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I was like, it was very different. And it's not that I've had this struggled life myself. I'm from the Katy area, grew up here, yeah. um, had a really good life. But, and my kids, you know, they get to have a great life living in this area, as you know. But things are different. And what it took mother and dad to get to where they are was a lot of work. And so the expectation is, is that, yeah, you live in an affluent area and, you, um, you see a lot of nice houses and things like that, but it took a lot of time to get there. This is not overnight stuff. And so I, I we do the same thing and just, you know, the kids, they, um, I don't want to say, oh, it sounds so like I'm an old guy, like, oh, the kids have it so good today, <laughs> but it's just, it is a different time and they do have more at their fingertips than we ever had. And well, they just I have to 
I think you're doing a great job because you're running this business out of your home. Your, your wife can work at home a little bit. You know, my girls can see my, my wife doing the interior design from home. And then they see me in here with the, you know, the lights on the microphone in front of me, in front of me. And they're like, what are you doing? And I'm, I, I got my own podcast. So they can see us trying to create that. So I think that's where your right. kids actually will benefit from seeing you at home, maybe frustrated yeah. at times, which isn't a bad thing. I try not to hide the frustration that I'm having sometimes uh, you know, especially interestingly enough, in this moment we're at right now with the coronavirus, exactly. it's like I want right. them to understand that there is a little emotion and there is some uncertainty on our side. It isn't all, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Hey, look what dad did. You know, it's like, yep. no, we, we had to fight it out. And I think that's great that you're doing what you're doing inside your home because your kids are aware. They're much yeah, more observant than we give them credit for. And this week, I mean, my wife's business is, you know, in Houston. I mean, as an optometrist. And so she's at home while her business partner is there. She's doing the business side right now. Um, so they can stay separated, but the kids are seeing, oh, mom's at, she's on a call with the banker right now. And mom's, yeah. oh, she's having to talk to the business manager and see all that and see the emotion of, you know, going through that at this time. And I've, I've always, for me personally, going through hard times has always been a growing experience. I think it always is for everybody. Um, and it just sucks going through those hard times. <laughs> you can always, you can always look back on them. And like you said, you can look back on the minor leagues now with a smile and appreciation. But at the time, you know, when you were getting, when you were living on a bus, you know, that's very different than California. Oh man. So, yeah. There, there were, there were many a moment where you're like, what the hell am I doing, man? Is this right. really worth it? Because the major right. leagues seem so far off in distance. Right. Well, and, and talk about your career in the major leagues because you were, you played for multiple teams across, you had a long career, but you did move around to multiple teams. So there wasn't always that stability like, oh, every year I just know exactly where I'm going to be. And I think that can be stressful. It doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete and you you are making a big paycheck. There's still a stress to like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't have a contract for next season. You're, you're exactly right. I was not one of those guys who went to the big leagues you know, on, our, on a red carpet and said, this is going to be your spot at shortstop for the Montreal Expos for the next three years. It was a situation where a guy broke his ankle. I got the opportunity, and thank goodness I took advantage of the opportunity and popped a couple home runs in my rookie year. And somebody kind of perked up uh, and said, well, we might be able to use this guy. And in knowing that I didn't have a guaranteed spot on a roster – I tell the story all the time. Felipe Alou, the manager of the Montreal Expos at the time, asked me if I could play third base. He asked me if I could play left field. And I had I'd played maybe a couple innings at third base in the minor leagues, never played the outfield. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. But, I, you know, that – and I kind of created my own niche as a, as a utility guy and being able to switch hit obviously helped out. But, uh, you know, nothing was set in stone. And to your point about the struggle and uncertainty of a major league career, I wasn't a guy either – who was a marquee player or a guaranteed guy on any roster. I was a guy literally every year I played for 14 years and I had 12 one-year contracts. So that meant, wow. yeah. And that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. They just assume, Oh, Jeff never got sent down and he played for 14 years. So he had big league contracts, you know, multi, multi years, multi millions. And that couldn't be further from the, from the truth. I literally at the end of every season had to call my agent and go, okay, you know, start, start the publicity machine. Let's get this thing out there and try and get a contract. Some years were easier than others where I got contracts pretty quick in, you know, uh, November, December. And then there were years where I didn't sign until January. So uh, every year was a little more stressful and a little more interesting, but at the same time, 
you know, I, I didn't make enough people mad at me to where they didn't want to have me on their team, but I didn't do enough to warrant, you know, the multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. So I walked a fine line for 14 years. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but I did learn a lot through the process and hope that people understand that, you know, you know, those days are long gone now in the modern era of baseball because when analytics started to move in is when my career started to move out. And I'm grateful I played during the time I did. So the Astros, all the Houston fans still accept you for your home run. <laughs> it's getting a little bit easier. You know, 2017, however you feel about it. I know locally here in Houston, we're, we're incredibly proud of the team. And right. one of the things that I told, uh, I told AJ is – AJ Hinch, the manager at the time, I told him that, uh, I go, you could do me a huge solid right now. Do me a huge favor. And this is around all-star break when I you know, the team's really doing well and we're, you know, they're talking about trading for a high end pitcher. And I said, Hey, you could do me a real solid right now. If you could go out here and win this world series, kind of get me off the hook for 2005, because it was a little tough. Uh, you know, hitting that home run in 2005 was bittersweet for me because I wanted to do it as an Astro. I was an Astro 2002 to 2003, and then I find myself playing against the Astros in 2005 in the World Series, so I knew everybody in that dugout, and as I'm rounding the bases, you know, I got my head down. I'm, I'm trying not to show these guys up or be super excited because, you know, I didn't want to rub it in their face, but at the same time, I just had a career moment in the World Series and wanted to enjoy it, but uh, coming, the hardest part actually was coming back when I signed with the team in 2008 when I actually got booed a little bit because you know they're under new management and uh, they signed me back and everybody's like why the hell would you sign back a guy who broke our hearts in 05 <laughs> you know so it's been a lot of work but I also give a lot of credit to the Houston fan base because they've been unbelievably welcoming to me uh, we've been able to have a lot of fun and interaction through Twitter and through the broadcast and obviously living here does you know does a world of good being in the community being seen and being around these people but they've welcomed me back with open arms and I think throughout the course of the broadcast, we've kind of, we've created a little bit of a bond, even though that, uh, you know, I'm like that, uh, you know, that, that uncle that did you wrong that one time, but you still keep him in the family. I, I think the Houston crowd loves you. So let's, <laughs> Thank talk, you. Let's, let's talk about, I mean, there's a lot of people though. And again, I think even though some people think, well, you're a professional athlete, it's hard to relate, but in your, you know, in your 30s and 40s, you're all of a sudden having to look like I'm going to have to pivot. Like, I know I played baseball my whole life at this point, but this is coming to an end and I've got to pivot and still figure out, you know, what is that passion that I have for to provide for my family? What does that look like? Um, so how did you go from baseball to the broadcast booth? Because one, you do do it well. Two, not every baseball player can be a broadcaster. I mean, that is a different career. You have to be able to talk keep the, the the folks interested and do that so how did was that something you had thought about did it just kind of what was that like for you no it was not something that I anticipated doing and to be totally honest you know throughout the course of my playing career I always thought I was going to be the guy that had the perfect nuclear family of two kids a wife and settled down and played long enough and made enough money to be able to retire. But 2005 not only changed my professional career, changed my personal life when we had triplets. So you, you brought up the, the, the ultimate point. How am I going to pr provide for my family? Because, you know, I played up until I was 39 and a half years old. So I was, I was a fossil in comparison to where, you know, where the game was trending. And I knew my, my time was up because of injuries and obviously the game getting younger. So I, 
had to find a way to stay in the game. And that's one thing I ask guys like Brad Ausmus, Mark Loretta, uh, Darren Erstead, you know, some of these veteran guys who did well, but got back in the game. And I had some contemporaries that I was talking to, you know, Morgan Ensberg was a guy who I was a very good friend or am very good friends with who left the game a little bit earlier than I did. and didn't stay in the game and had to kind of fight his way back in. So I'm seeing both avenues and talking to some of the veteran guys who stayed in the game. I go, what did you have to do? How does this work? And they both said, you know, all of them said to a man, if you want to stay in the game, find a way to stay in the game. You know, there's scouting, there's coaching, there's broadcasting, there's front office, there's plenty of opportunities. And being fortunate enough to play 14 years, you know, I've, I've, I've crewed a great deal of experience and knowledge through playing the game, how the game works, both on and off the field a little bit to a point. And that kind of filtered through what I was going to do in the, in the uh, post-career. And it just kind of worked out. You know, I, I have been incredibly blessed, lucky, whatever the heck you want to call it. But I've been in the right place at the right time. But I've also been able to take advantage of opportunities. Now, every Astro fan knows that in 2011-12, Jim Crane took control of Houston Astros and eventually fired the radio crew. Milo Hamilton retires. Uh, Bill Brown cuts back on his number of games he's doing. And Jim Deshays took off and took the money and ran to uh, the Chicago Cubs. And it created a vacuum in both radio and TV. So I called my agent. I said, hey, I got to start getting interviews. I got to get my name out there. Can you just reach out to the Astros where I have a little bit of equity in the city and the organization and say, hey, can you just, you know, kind of shoehorn me in there and get me an interview just so that people all of a sudden around the league will start to hear my name and go, okay, Jeff's interested. And I go out for the interview. And I mean, it was, you talk about crazy. I, my interviews have happened on the field. My interviews have never happened in face-to-face meetings. So I spent the next four hours one day in the offices at Union Station here at Minute Maid Park, and I I met the scouting director, I met the president of the radio station, the president of the TV station, uh, met with Bill Brown, I met with scouting directors, I met with the president of the team at the time, and then eventually they put me in the owner's office, and I'm sitting there going, man, Jim, who, what? And I didn't do any, I mean, I barely did any studying. I didn't know who Jim Crane was to an extent other than the fact that he owned a team. So I eventually had about a four or five hour interview and tripped them. (laughs) They, they, they called me and said they wanted to hire me part time, but you know, I appreciate what you say about me being able to broadcast and being able to engage and carry some conversations through a four hour game on the West coast against Seattle, where the Astros are beating the pants off them 12 to two. You know, that, I, 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 that is a skill. I'm very lucky in the sense, and obviously you can tell by my answers, they're not too short sometimes, and I think that's an understanding of the game. But it's a, at the same time, I want people to understand, you know, what's going on in the game. But I'd never trained for this. I literally did as many interviews as I could because, again, I told you I'm not the superstar. So when people came to talk to me, I created a relationship with the media where I could complete a sentence. I could give, uh, you know, not the token response, you know, not the cliche. Uh, if I lost a game, I did an interview. If I, if I won the game, I did an interview. If I was just a guy who showed up and watched a great game, I did the interview. And I think that's where I really started to create a – maybe a brand or a market for myself, being able to be a guy who's not afraid of the camera, not afraid of speaking his mind in a, in a, in a uh, articulate way. And eventually it put me in the booth and I have had zero training. Even to this day, eight years into this, I've never trained for this. I've done obviously plenty of games on TV. I've done, uh, I've hosted radio shows. 
and you know, three hour morning shows, drive time shows. I have my own podcast and now I'm really enjoying the, the process of becoming a better broadcaster. But I'm also finding out the more reps I get and the more I'm on the microphone, the better I get. So that's kind of the reason why I've, you know, I haven't said no to a lot, but that's kind of how I ended up where I am now. And, you know, fortunately I, I get along with people and people get along with me. So I'm hoping to keep that, maintain that as long as I possibly can, because I'm loving it. Well, again, this is through work. I mean, you do have a knack for it. I can just listen to you on the podcast and you, the way you answer questions and, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, you're doing a great job, but you definitely have a knack and you found that, you know, baseball was your calling, but, you know, being one thing that, uh, I think you've done a good example of, and you, you hint at it though, is maintaining relationships. Um, I personally, I went through a situation a few years ago where I got laid off and what I found the best thing that worked for me is actually I had an interesting situation where I had six months. I knew I was losing my job in six months. And so for the next six months, all I did was call people I'd worked with the last 15 years. And two weeks before that six months was up, one of those connections who at the time necessarily didn't have an open job called me. He's like, you know what? I think I just found a position for you. And it worked out for me, but it's just being able to maintain those relationships and then go back and one, get advice. I mean, a lot of those calls were not me looking for a job. A lot of those calls were just saying, Hey, what's going on? What's going on in your world? How are things mm -hmm. going? And then from there, just, uh, and, and I tell that to a lot of people today is that it doesn't matter what you're starting, what new business you're starting, what um, new, even if you're getting into a hobby, you've got to find people who have experience, build those relationships and then maintain those relationships in a way when it's time for you to come back. Like, you know, for you, you came back to an organization you had played for twice. You knew people. Um, you obviously had the experience of, you know, baseball, but can you talk about baseball? And you convinced yeah. them that you did. So I think that, you know, building those relationships and maintaining them is so key into whatever you're doing. It absolutely is. You know, I get, I get the question now a lot, being, you know, obviously older, this guy must be a little bit wiser. Uh, and I think experience kind of, you know, rubs off on us in different ways. And I always get the question, you know, what's your, what's your best advice? Uh, you know, I, as in, you know, I've had players actually ask me, how did you, how did you transition to the booth? And I kind of told them the same story I just said, and then you have players, you know, how did you stay in the game so long? Cause I think both those things translate. You've got to, I had to have a relationship with teammates and management when I was a player and I kind of understood that, you know, I was good and I knew I was going to be able to have a job, but I wasn't good enough to, to make up, make people upset and have my play overwhelm my bad attitude. I was a guy who had to have a good attitude and play well enough to right. stay on the team. And then that kind of translates to what I'm doing now. I've got to be, I have to be very good at my job because there's a lot of people fighting for the job I'm in right now. And I love it. It's a highly coveted job. But at the same time, I've got to be very good. And then I've got to be very personable too, because, you know, I could hide behind a baseball cap. I could hide behind a uh, helmet or in a dugout as a player and not put myself out there. Now, man, I am putting myself out there and I am at the forefront of what the, you know, Astros organization is trying to get across. And I'm also, I feel like I'm an ambassador of the game of baseball too, but now I'm out in front and now it's paramount that I do carry those relationships out there and I am personable and I am welcoming because that's how I get people to watch the game of baseball. That's how I get Astro fans to stay tuned with Astros baseball. But when I do get the question about, you know, what advice do you have for a young player? What advice do you have for a guy who's an older player on his way out of the game? 
And I've always, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect saying and it's not, you know, it's just something that I believed in and I've been able to put to practice is work hard, play harder, don't piss anybody off, you know, and it's, you know, the second you get that label of being a jerk, it's hard to shake that label, especially within the fraternity of baseball and the family of baseball, because once you're kind of blackballed, it seems to, uh, to exaggerate itself. It seems to snowball and grow a little bit. And fortunately, you know, about halfway through my career, I, I had gotten to the point where I'd been well, working hard, playing hard and created enough relationships to be able to come back. And like I said earlier, get the interview with the Astros. Cause I'm sure they probably perked up and went, all right, we'll give him a shot, but he's, you know, he'll, he's fine. We've had conversations. He'll be okay. But you know, obviously it worked out better than I think all of us even thought. Yeah. I like what you said about working hard and playing hard. And I think in team sports, um, that's so true, but in the work world, it's so true as well. I mean, we work in teams all the time. I mean, I work in a small team. Um, I'm, I work out of my house and the rest of them are in New York, but it's the team dynamics. You always want to be the one that is the peacemaker, the go-getter. You don't want to be the one that's ruffling feathers. And that's not to say to not question something, but you want mm-hmm. to be the guy. You want to be the guy or girl who your reputation is, oh, I want to have that person on my team. And and that doesn't mean that you're the best at what you do. It just means uh, that you're willing to work hard. No, I completely agree. And, you know, I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be in situations on teams where I had to be the guy that was able to fill in at short, second, third, you know, come in and pinch hit against a closer. So I understood and I had to develop, <clears throat> excuse me, my game around how do I make the team better and it's kind of funny to look back on my career and realize some of the best moments or best seasons I've had is when my mentality at the forefront was how do I make the team better is the team going to be better if I start swinging for home runs or if I go into the coach and bitch and moan about not playing shortstop enough and I found out that you know the more I kept my mouth shut and the harder I played and and did what I personally could do to make the team better we became better as a team and I agree that you know a lot of this stuff and I People think I'm crazy because, you know, I played baseball for so long, but it does kind of translate to those business opportunities in the the corporate world. And I'm finding that out now that it does take a lot of pieces to make the machine move and be productive because ultimately we all want to be successful and it may be successful at different levels. We can't be the mega millionaires, but we can definitely be the mega, you know, mega thousandaire that does a great job and has the appreciation of their peers around them, which I think, you know, pays in its own way. But uh, you know, it's tough to, to not seek the spotlight, so to speak, every day, but understand that within your group, you can be a superstar. Right, right. I, I, I agree completely. When I think about um, folks who are trying to find out what their passion is in life, how do they pursue that passion? Um, carrying the right attitude goes a long way. And for others to see that you are a light. And that's so important. I mean, the times we're at now, I mean, we're in this crazy time and we're looking to those who are light, you know, for us Mm -hmm. that are providing hope. And that's, and I think that, you know, when in general people, they, they want to see, you know, they want to be around good people. They want to be around people who work hard and it brings everybody else up. And I think those are all great qualities. And, you know, whether it's in Major League Baseball, NFL, or, you know, trying to start your own business, whatever it is, it's, uh, um, it's all the same. Hey, what's the, what's the name of your podcast that you have out there? 
Oh, thank you for asking. It is uh, Bleacher Blums and kind of a play on words, you know, Bleacher Bum, uh, you know, watching some ball games or watching sports. And it kind of was the genesis of me and a good buddy named David Tuttle, where we, our kids went to elementary school together. And during drop off, you know, we would park our cars, walk our kids in and walk back to the car. And we've kind of looked at each other across the parking lot and went, I know who you are, but I can't put my finger on it. And we introduced ourselves and found out that we, you know, we, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing where we, you know, he knew guys that I played with. I knew guys that he played with. He went to Santa Clara University in Northern California and I went to Berkeley. We probably played against each other and we kind of find, yeah. found this commonality in, in sports, baseball and life because he's a father of multiples. He's got a set of girl twins and we just kind of started to hit it off and talk about these things. And it was about six or seven years ago. I said, Hey dude, I go, we need to turn this thing into a podcast. I go, if we're going to waste our time talking for 45 minutes to each other, getting yelled at by our wives, why don't we try and put it out there for more people to listen to it, enjoy it a little bit. And uh, we eventually did that. And we've been going just over a year strong, you know, with about 62 podcasts that we've dropped. And it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's been therapeutic for us because, you know, he's a guy who didn't make it to the major leagues, but still he has a great idea about the game and how it's played and, you know, life outside of sports. So we try and incorporate you know, the parental fatherhood aspect, the spouse aspect, and then the, you know, the Uber fan dad aspect of uh, life into our podcast. And we've had, we've had a blast doing it and people have been responding. So we're going to continue to do it. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on my podcast. Um, it was really fun to just hear your story uh, straight from you. And I was glad that we met at couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago back at that event where this led to us being able to sit down i do wish we could do it in person and maybe you know six Someday. or eight months from now yeah we can we'll, we'll be able to sit down um even though we live pretty close to each other but uh, i appreciate it and uh just thanks for your time today no it was good to be on so i appreciate how you handled this very professional thanks jeff Thanks for listening to the Sign Out Podcast. And make sure you check out our website at signoutco.com. We have original design hats and t-shirts and stickers. So check those out. And make sure you check out Jeff's website, bleacherblums.com. That's bleacher, B-L-U-M-S dot com. Also, if you could please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out. And the intro and outro music was actually made by myself, Caleb J. Murphy. If you want to hear more, check out calebjmurphy.com. Again, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.